In June, the country's oldest counselling service closed its doors. Set up after the Second World War to deal with the domestic problems of returning servicemen and their wives, it grew to become the country's largest counselling agency. This week's Insight has the inside story on its sudden demise and what that means for similar organisations that rely on government support to survive. As the largest provider of counselling services in the country, Relationships Aotearoa was staffed by a team who say they shared a vision and remained deeply committed to the organisation, often through desperate, trying times. Hundreds of thousands of individuals, couples and families called upon their services, which some provided on a limited budget. This woman, who didn't want to be named, used those services after separating from her husband almost six years ago. The couple have a son and until earlier this year had managed to keep everything out of the family court. But at the beginning of this year, an incident involving her son and ex-husband prompted them to seek out relationship Aotearoa's services. We had the family therapist who was also the person who had taken the parenting through separation course. She was very professional but she was very much about you've got to think about your children first and she was quite um, straight up with us, which I appreciated and I think my ex-husband appreciated. So we'd organised two further sessions and then, um, yeah, found out they were closing. A same-sex couple, who we'll call Anna and Jane, who have two children, turned to Relationships Aotearoa for help after they had been rejected by a number of other services because of their homosexuality. It is a Catholic-based service, which obviously wasn't suitable for us. Um, the Salvation Army, we've actually got friends who are Salvation Army people, and they said call them, and the administrator was fantastic. He said that he'd check um, who was free and, and, and so on and so forth. But when they found out that we were gay, even though he was okay with it, the only counsellor who would be available to see us who could do couples counselling was not happy about oh, what did they say, supporting a relationship that went against God's plan. And in Christchurch, Cancern spokesperson Leanne Curtis says Relationships Aotearoa has helped about 30,000 people repair their damaged lives since the earthquakes. People saw terrible things, they experienced terrible things, they heard terrible things, and you really couldn't process that particularly well. So a lot of people needed to tell their story and they needed possibly to tell their story to somebody who wasn't going to come straight back and tell their own story. You were almost competing for space. I'm Catherine Hassan and this insight investigates what led to the apparent sudden and premature demise of the country's oldest and largest counselling service and what the implications of its closure are for its clients. Today, a big shake-up in counselling services. Every year, relationships Aotearoa help 30,000 people dealing with trauma, sexual abuse, marriage breakups and domestic violence. Four agencies have agreed to take over working with thousands of clients affected after relationships Aotearoa announced it will be closing its doors at the end of the week. About 80% of those services were funded by government departments, like Corrections, the Ministry of Justice and the Ministry of Social Development, the latter holding the largest contract. But how much money was available for clients varied between agencies, and some contracts were underfunded. An independent report leaked to Radio New Zealand entitled Transforming Not-for-Profit Services and Prepared for the Ministry of Social Development said the ministry's fees did not reflect the true cost of delivery. 
Yet in May, Murray Edridge, the Ministry's Deputy Chief Executive of Community Investment, was questioned by Mary Wilson on Radio New Zealand's Checkpoint programme about how much it was paying relationships Aotearoa. RA have not been able to find a sustainable business model based on that, but we believe the other providers we're working with can provide that sustainable model. For the same price? For the same price as we're currently paying RA, yes. Fiona Inkpen is the chief executive of the social work service called Stand Children's Services, which, like Relationships Aotearoa, relies on government contracts. I showed her a copy of the Relationships Aotearoa contract. This is it here. So service location New Zealand, quantity of service, clients 8,390. So that works out to $329.81 per client. The total agreement price was almost $3 million. I would never have signed that contract. Why not? Because you can't provide a service. If, that's, if that really is the number of clients and that's what they were paying, um, then you can't do that for those clients for that. Why not? Because you just can't. It's not enough money. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to pay people. The ministry's contract accounted for almost half of the agency's business, with clients expected to pay part of the cost. That caused difficulties within the organisation, as its communications and fundraising manager Sarah Turnbull explains. That was a real tension for us because we were working with some very vulnerable clients. So even asking for a few dollars was a barrier for some people to access services. The report for the Ministry of Social Development noted a similar problem. Pursuing client fees from New Zealand's vulnerable, socio-economically disadvantaged population was and remains problematic. Client fee payments were and are lower than required to meet shortfalls that cannot be met by philanthropic funding. On average, outstanding client debts exceed $100,000 per annum. The Deputy Chief Executive, Murray Edridge, says he's never seen the report and rejects accusations that the service was underfunded. The contract was funded appropriately for what we asked of them and, um, and consistent with the other organisations that the Ministry funds. Stand is one of those organisations. It says it couldn't provide what, what was being asked of it for what was being paid. Well, Stand are now providing um, similar services to those of relationships at Um We're not spending what we spent previously. And, um, and so STAND clearly can provide those services differently and I would suggest more efficiently. Why were they inefficient? It was a combination, I think, of the way they organised themselves as an organisation, the way they were led and managed, the way they constructed their infrastructure. PwC partner John Fisk, who acted as a business advisor before being appointed as liquidator, says falling revenue on the back of high fixed costs created a perfect storm. The overheads were too great for the um, revenue that was being generated. So they were trying to cover the whole country. Uh, so they had um, something like 35 different offices around the country. They had about 135 employees. Um, so there was a high fixed cost and a variable income, which was being paid per client visit. So when you have that drop in volume, the costs continue. Carolyn Cordry is an Associate Professor at Victoria University's School of Accounting and Commercial Law. She says there's been extensive research about why not-for-profit organisations fail. In the not-for-profit world, various people have tried to make a stab at it, 
and I will very briefly run down what they've looked at. So they've looked at either if programme funding has taken a severe hit or if net equity has taken a severe hit some way. In researching some of these factors, she and a colleague looked at soccer clubs in New Zealand. We found that the most important variables were that their board was proactive and open, that they, and remembering that football clubs are very membership-based, that attracting new members, they, we asked them if it was a strength or a weakness, and they said it was a strength, and that they had facilities that were high quality. Now, obviously, that doesn't go to your social services, but it's about something about the programmes and things. In relationship Aotearoa's case, all that was true. Since 2012, its income had fallen by $4.8 million. It had recorded financial deficits for each financial year and its cash reserves would be exhausted by the end of the year. If its demise was a perfect storm, the first bitter winds blew in 2012, with cuts to its Ministry of Justice contract, slashing 30% off the service's total funding. A law professor, Mark Hennigan from Otago University, is researching the recent changes to the family court, which cut the six free counselling sessions that couples could access to try to avoid court. We shifted from a model that used counselling as the first way of couples being able to at least talk through their problems, and we've shifted to a new system where we call it uh, dispute resolution, where they're really going straight to what we used to call mediation, so that the counselling process, which was problem-solving as well, but also did involve the opportunity for people to meet individually, have six sessions paid for by the state, and uh, it prepared the ground very nicely so people could understand each other. Acutely aware the loss of the justice contract would have a major impact on its bottom line, the organisation set up a project team to find a new strategy. Carrie Hayward, the organisation's strategic advisor, was one of those staff members, and the team spent three months developing ideas. The board was unable to turn up in quorum so that we could face into the significant and urgent issues that the organisation was facing. I felt abandoned by them. The then board chair, Leslie Haynes, declined to be interviewed but said the board did meet with management to discuss options, conceding while the minimum number of members needed did turn up, there were absences. And she says attempts were made to diversify and modernise the service, but none of the options were particularly promising. Those changes included significant redundancies and budget cuts, and the funding she refers to was known as Capability Investment Resource. As Carrie Haywood explains, it was designed to support a stronger, adaptable and more integrated social sector. We'd got to the place where our ability to report in real time, session to session, on client progress and client engagement with our, with our counsellors we're not aware of anyone else in the sector that would have that capability at a national level. We could not understand why government would invest $1.5 million in developing all of this information infrastructure and then just pull the plug on it. It's a waste. It can't go anywhere because of the licensing arrangements. Carrie Haywood says despite some teething problems, the system showed promise and could have been used by other non-government agencies. But before those benefits could be realised, other events took over, including a significant drop in philanthropic funding and a high turnover in key management positions, including the departure of three chief financial officers last year. 
When the board became aware of the financial issues, it commissioned the consulting firm PwC to independently review the organisation's performance. John Fisk wrote the report and says the agency was in a serious financial state. They had originally budgeted for a $100,000 loss for the June 15 year. That had been revised to about a $900,000 loss and following our review the expected loss was more like $1.5 million. The report identifies a number of issues including a failure to generate a formal cash flow forecast, late reporting and errors in the management accounts, often as simple as totals not being added up correctly. Victoria University's Carolyn Cordry explains. I thought that interesting so what I highlighted here on these accounts, this is net surplus for the year, but it was actually a deficit. So, so they were even, you know, they were sort of in denial, even in their financial accounts, that they were, here they are, saying, well, this was our net surplus and it's made up of these expenses. No, it wasn't sunshine, it was a deficit. All this was news to the small group of Relationship Aotearoa's members who gathered for a special general meeting at head office in May. Sarah Turnbull says she instigated the meeting following concerns, including the recent exclusion of the chief executive from board meetings. It was a very, very difficult meeting. There was a lot of tension and a lot of emotion in the room. The only proposal that we could see that was being put forward by the board was for immediate closure. There was no discussion about transition of clients, so that if there was a need to close, which looked quite likely that that the board should have been advocating for a safe transition of clients over a period of weeks, not a period of days. When it became clear the membership wouldn't accept the board's recommendation, board members walked out. That left the stunned group of members to elect an interim board, with Jane Allison chosen as the chairperson. During the meeting, it also emerged that the previous board chairperson, Leslie Haynes, had written to the Ministry of Social Development, asking for a 40% reduction in the services for ministry clients, while keeping its funding at the same level, and seeking an equity injection of $500,000. Her request was rejected. Dr Allison says she's baffled by the board's request. It just seemed like um, a pretty unusual thing to ask for an equity injection or um, a contract delivery reduction of the scale that was in that letter. I wasn't part of the negotiations, but it, doesn't, it just didn't seem like something that would fly. If I was on the other side of the table for government, I think I would be pretty worried about receiving a letter like that. Despite the best efforts of the interim board and management, talks with the Ministry of Social Development broke down in early June, and the organisation was forced to close its doors. But there were problems within the organisation, including tensions between the board and the chief executive, as Carrie Hayward explains. The way the board managed that was that they withdrew into themselves, they excluded the CE from board meetings, they dropped the board secretariat from the meetings, that's the person that does the minutes and prepares the papers. They also withdrew from the national leadership team and the national leadership team traditionally in the organisation has been the team with the information and the resource to really assist in decisions being made. 
but the former board chairperson Leslie Haynes insists relations remained professional, but says the board did play a more hands-on role. Attempts were also made to recruit new board members, with Leslie Haynes saying she tried to get help from the Institute of Directors to find suitable people, but she was unable to follow through on this. Another issue in dispute is whether Relationships Aotearoa was actually providing the services it was contracted to. The Minister of Social Development, Anne Tolley, says it wasn't. They were only delivering on, on between 20 and 30 per cent of their contracts. So they're contracted to deal with so many people and they were falling short of that. And that was a consistent message across three, three agencies. The organisation's strategic adviser, Carrie Haywood, cites figures showing the agency was delivering above their targets. Yet liquidator John Fisk says he's seen figures showing the opposite. It may well be that it depends on which particular service they were talking about. And, and this is part of the problem um, here because um, there, there was different language used by different people in terms of how this contract worked. You know, um, some people um, uh, called a, a family consultation uh, one client, others might have called it five clients because there was you know, mum, dad and, and the kids. Yep. Um, so I think part of the problem that's arisen here is a, a definition of you know, who clients are and, and particularly who current clients are. If the contract was so unclear, why wasn't it renegotiated? Carrie Haywood says it wasn't that straightforward. There was a group of people that was negotiating with MSD to negotiate a new contract because it was really clear that the MSD contract wasn't working and not just on price. The MSD contract was a very complex contract. People on their side didn't understand aspects of the contract and people on our side didn't understand aspects of the contract. Copies of last year's annual approvals prepared by the Ministry show relationships Aotearoa wasn't meeting its performance targets for the Ministries of Social Development or Justice. Yet it didn't investigate, explain the reasons or offer suggestions about what improvements should be made. Murray Edridge says there were limits to what the Ministry could do. And remember, we only get to see what they tell us, essentially, even though we go into the organisation and do our own investigations. It is quite superficial by nature. We believe that they, as an organisation, have the ability to um, organise themselves and manage their service delivery in a way that enabled them to be a sustainable organisation. We acknowledge that there were gaps in service delivery, but we believe that was improving. Should the Ministry have greater oversight over taxpayer-funded organisations? The Minister of Social Development, Anne Tolley, doesn't think so. They're still private organisations. You still have to trust that the Bernardos, that the Salvation Army, that all of those NGOs are capable of running um, themselves in a business-like manner. But if it's government funding, shouldn't the government take some control of it? Well, well, yes, you can do so much, but you can't take responsibility for their decisions. You have a contractual arrangement with them, but you cannot step in and take over. They are individual organisations. Despite its well-publicised problems, several organisations expressed an interest in taking over relationships Aotearoa. The most serious of these was the WISE Group, which describes itself as a family of charitable organisations. Minutes from the interim board meeting a week before the organisation went into liquidation record that Mr Edridge had told the interim board the WISE Group wasn't interested in taking over the organisation.
The board chair called the WISE group and confirmed their continued and enthusiastic interest in taking on relationships Aotearoa services, staff and infrastructure nationally, subject to a contract with the Ministry of Social Development. The advice from the WISE group was that they were interested, but had been told by Murray Edridge that their interest was not helpful and that the Ministry of Social Development was working with other providers. The WISE group expressed their concern about Murray's misinformation to Relationships Aotearoa, but advised they didn't want to get offside with the Ministry of Social Development. Murray Edridge denies using those words. The reality is, is that the RA board ran out of time. They weren't in a position with the WISE group um, when, um, when we were going through discussions about how the transition was going to happen to the point that actually um, it, was, it was ready to go and so it wasn't going to happen fast enough and they couldn't continue to operate because at that point they, were, they weren't viable and they um, um, didn't have a sustainable pathway. The interim board were therefore under some pressure to take some actions and the action they subsequently took was to close the doors. But Carrie Haywood says if the WISE group had been allowed to take over relationships Aotearoa, all the issues faced by the ministry and the wider sector after it folded could have been avoided. There wouldn't have been the need to pay out redundancies. The WISE group, because they were taking over the organisation and not merging with us, my understanding is that they could then have taken over the capability that would built up. There wouldn't have been the big drama about how to manage the logistics of the client files, and there wouldn't have been any issues with the handover and the management of client information to a new provider. Murray Edridge says the decision not to pursue the takeover doesn't mean the Ministry isn't supportive of counselling services. We are reviewing counselling services along with everything else we purchase at the moment and there'll be some conclusions about um, whether that's a priority spend for government going forward and therefore where does that sit in the strategy. Do you think it's a priority spend? I'm not prepared to comment on that at the moment because um, we're still doing the evaluation on effectiveness and, um, and priority. And how do you measure the effectiveness of these counselling services? Well, um, it, it's what difference have they made. Part of the challenge we've had in the past is we haven't measured it, so we haven't understood what does effectiveness look like. There's a range of, of measures... And, and whose and fault was that? I mean, surely that's oh. the MSD. Well, regardless of whose fault it is, I mean, the reality is that we were funding things and we didn't know whether social services were effective. And the obligation is that we should know that, of course. That's because the Ministry is currently rolling out what it calls the Community Investment Strategy, reviewing funding for 2,000 non-government agencies. The investment strategy um, got launched by Minister Tolly on the 4th of June. Um, it's got a, a three-year implementation but um, there'll be significant uh, focusing of the, of the resource investment by December of this year. Can you give an assurance that there will be individuals and couples counselling available to people in New Zealand? No, I can't, no. Um, the, the services that are funded out of um, the social services um, appropriations of government through MSD um, will be defined by looking at what's most effective, what's going to make the most difference in our communities, and that may or may not include... Um, couple uh, counselling and, and relationship work as has previously been delivered but that was signalled well before there were any concerns with relationships out here. The Minister and Tolly says it's about meeting the needs of individual communities. I haven't been to an, um, a community yet that where the Mayor doesn't say there's millions coming in to this community 
um, and and the organisations say there's millions coming in. We need it spent in a more consistent, cohesive fashion. When relationships Aotearoa closed, two organisations were hastily contracted to provide services, Stan Children's Services and Vitae. In the past three months, Stan says it has seen more than 360 former clients of relationships Aotearoa, mostly individuals and couples. Vitae estimates it's seen another 50 people. Stan's chief executive, Fiona Inkpen, says they're moving to a new contract with the Ministry of Social Development, which will cater for families, but not individuals and couples. At the moment we have a contract which is the transition, uh, and um, within the next couple of weeks our contract will be signed, which is the new service. So so we, we wanted to be able to complete the services that were active at the time. Um, and, and hence that's, so that's what we've been doing. So those who've wanted to re-engage, uh, that we've managed to get hold of, um, are being offered those services. The Minister of Social Development, Anne Tolley, says there will always be a need for counselling services, but it's clear these will be more targeted in the future. What we've got is those three areas that we've identified, and so vulnerable adults, vulnerable young people and vulnerable, um, vulnerable youth and vulnerable children. And um, so it's where it fits in all of that. What about individuals and couples counselling? Uh, look, um, it will just depend on what community, what the need is, how um, that community sees that as a priority. Clients, such as this woman, who felt another two counselling sessions would have solved her issues, now faces long delays in the family court. She says the government's focus on just vulnerable children is too narrow. Obviously we need to be focusing on our children, but we also need to realise children, they live in families, and there's a saying that you know, if you want to keep the children safe, look after the parents, and sometimes we miss actually seeing children holistically and seeing them as part of their families. And I mean, if this therapy was going to be working for my ex-husband and I, that was only ever going to be good for our child. And she says the closure does leave a hole. This feels like it happened quickly, and it feels like it was a funding issue and a contract issue, but it doesn't feel like there are any safety nets put in place. I mean, I'm OK. My son's fine and I'm fine, and we'll just go through the court process, which is going to be not quite OK. But what about for those other families out there who aren't OK? You know, where's, where's it, if I haven't been contacted, how many other families haven't been contacted as well? So it's about maybe putting you know, the families first and the children first, but sometimes it's looking at the bigger implications of funding and contract decisions. Meanwhile, the Minister says any lessons learnt from the demise of relationships Aotearoa will be incorporated into the community investment strategy. I'm Catherine Hutton, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to share your thoughts on this programme, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Teresa Cowie, with technical production by Daniel Bevan.